Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. My name is Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you may be around the world. If you like the content I create, make sure to hit that like, subscribe button, and share it with all your friends and family. It really helps me grow. I'm pleased to be welcomed today by author Paige Christie. Paige is the um, author of the Legacies of Arnan series and is an all-around wonderful and great person. Paige, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> Same here. So before we get uh, into it, why don't we just get into your overall background as, a, as an author, as a person, and what you're passionate about? How did you get into writing, and what would you say the stories you grew up with? Well, I, I've been writing since I was in second grade, so I guess that puts me at about seven years old. And I actually got started because I was one of those horse-crazy girls, you know, stereotypical horse-crazy horse girls. And my parents took me to see the original 1970s release of The Black Stallion in the theater. And I thought that was the best movie I had ever seen um, at the age of seven or six. And then my father bought me the first book in the series. And I was like, wait, the story's a book? And then at some point, not long after that, my teacher was like, okay, we're gonna practice writing stories. And I was like, wait, you can write stories like this book? And that was it. I was I was doomed. Um, so <laughs> I I got hooked on good storytelling and big drama in story. Very very young. Um, fan of the original Star Trek, Space 1999. I'm showing my age. Um, all of that kind of stuff. Mother wanted me to watch Woody Woodpecker, and I was more interested in Super Friends, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, and basically I just started writing stories for myself. Uh, very young, um, had some dream early on of actually becoming a writer for a living. Um, but this was in the 70s and 80s when that was way harder than it is today. There was no right. such thing as self-publishing. There was only, um, you know, you either got published or you didn't get published. So I, I kind of fell head over heels in love with writing, but I only did it for myself. I got a degree in writing in college, writing and editing, tried to get a few short stories published after that. And then kind of gave up because nobody was biting on the, on the kind of stuff I wrote because it wasn't considered commercial. So I just pretty much kept writing for myself and, and stopped trying to get published for about 30 years. And then a friend of mine called me up two days before NaNoWriMo in 2014 and said, I'm going to do this thing. You should do it too. And I was like, I work in retail and it's November and are you crazy? And she said, it'll be fun. And the next thing I knew I had written a novel. And that's where the first book in the series came from. So I've been stealth writing for about 40 years before anything I showed any to anybody, um, which is kind of weird to say now. But yeah, I was I was under the table closet author for decades. Wow. Yep. That, that's, a, that's amazing. Um, and with all that, <laughs> all that time to... <laughs> um, all that time to write it and to figure out what you exactly wanted to put in it, the first book must be fantastic, and it and it is. It's one of the it's one of the best debut um, novels I've read in quite quite a while. Witten, oh, that is, thank um, you. <laughs> the debut novel being uh, Dragon Weather, and we'll get into all that um, shortly. What other um, authors were you growing up um, reading, especially like more of the classics and more into uh, what we consider modern uh, fantasy? Uh, do you uh, migrate to? I migrate toward heavily character driven stories. Um, I'm I am less 
interested in the world of a story than I am in what's happening with the characters. And I'm really drawn to very powerful writing. And that can be powerful on either end of the spectrum. Like my two favorite writers in the world are Robert B. Parker, a mystery author, who is very brusque and succinct and uh, crisp. And I guess his style, some say it's masculine. I don't really know what that means, but that's how it's described at times. Um, and Janie Wirtz, who writes on the other end of the spectrum with um, very powerful and creative use of language and rich terminology and gorgeous, gorgeous descriptions and the ability to churn emotion up and up and up and up at, in, in a way that nobody else I've ever read can do. And so um, those are my two extremes. And um, in my youth, um, I was a fan of Orson Scott Card, not so much now for mm -hmm. reasons, um, <laughs> but uh, C.S. Friedman, yep. um, Connie Willis, those were kind of my influences growing up. Connie Willis writes the best short stories I've ever read. So those were kind of the, the, the top ones that leaped to mind when people ask me that question for certain writing more recently. I'm a big fan of Darren Kennedy's work, R.J. Barker, Juliet McKenna, uh, Lucy Holland, Stephen Poor, all very, very talented. Uh, Nicole Givens-Kurtz, who is nowhere near as well-known as she should be. But yeah, those are, those are some of the people I'm, I'm reading now. Yeah, I'm right, <laughs> I'm right <laughs> with you with, with Jenny Wirtz. She brings, oh out, my God. she brings out the probably the most emotional reading I've ever read, especially mm -hmm. Peril's Gate. No spoilers. But, oh my God, um, that book. <laughs> it's still... It still eats me to this day, and I'm yeah. just just um, recalling everything that happened with it. You're now a, a full time writer with a publisher, but you also have other um, you have other jobs, you have other activities. How would you? Because you are writing the finale in your series, I, I believe. How do you balance? Do you like the work life balance in terms of writing or doing other hobbies? Uh, what What's the balance like for you? Do you have like a set schedule for writing? Well, you know, I did, and then the panini hit. <laughs> you know, um, I'm two years behind on the finale of the book because of, of that. But yeah, my day job is I run a nonprofit soup kitchen and food pantry. So as you can guess, the last couple of years have been decidedly busy. Mm -hmm. um, so that really kind of threw me off. Most of my writing is done in the evenings, usually between 9 p.m. and midnight, because that's the time I have to do it. So and, and I was writing every single day and making great progress. And then the world caught fire. So um, I'm trying to get back to that. I, I have actually probably by the end of this day, the rough draft of the last book will be finished. Congratulations. Like, yeah. Yeah. So um, yay. I think you're the first person I've told that to. So yeah, by the end of the day, I'm working on the final two scenes in the book right now. And then I have to print it, shred it, type it back in, and then pass it to my alpha and beta readers. And then we'll see where we are come April when I hope to have it out, but that will depend on publishing. So um, work-life balance, mostly it's been work of not the fun kind, because I don't consider writing work, even though it is, because it's just something I have to do or I'll go crazy. Other hobbies, uh, I've been a dozen years now practicing Middle Eastern dance. Um, really love that. Big revelations in cultural exploration there. Um, when you're taking on an art form that is not based in your culture on a lot of levels, musically, um, stylistically, any of those things, it's a big learning curve and it's very, very humbling. So uh, that's fun. 
I grew up cross-country skiing and doing biathlon. I don't get to do much of that now that I live in North Carolina, but I still consider it a very strong part of who I am. And given my work now, I'm doing a lot of work in, in food justice, farm justice, land justice, that kind of things. And, you know, working with some new conventions that are very specifically um, gearing themselves from the ground up toward diversity and inclusion and not just as buzzwords, but actual in actual practice. Mm -hmm. And so trying to support organizations that are working toward the greater good in the world and within fandom, because that's very important to me. There's a lot of underrepresentation and a lot of places where people don't feel welcome that should, and um, trying to support organizations that work actively cre to create that, the primary one being MultiverseCon in Atlanta and some others that are kind of taking that same route. So um, those are kind of where my passions lie at the moment. Yeah. Those are great passions to have. And thank you so much for everything that you do, not only as a as a writer, but also as um, an organizer and working in the soup kitchen. That's very, it's very humbling and kind of touches my heart. Right so with that, why don't we jump into your uh, series? The first book sure. in the series being Dragon Weather. I have an, I have a review up uh, for that, as well as the sequel Wing Wind. It's kind of a tongue twister every time I think, think <laughs> I about it. <laughs> I'm like, did I, just, I? I did that on purpose. Oh my God. What was I thinking? <laughs> so, I'm like, did I say that quickly? Is it Wild Wind? Is it Wing, wing Wild? Wild? Or is it? Yeah. I don't know, two sorry. W's. It's very sorry, it's, not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. It's okay. The book is the book is worth it. So Dragon Weather. It's um it's known as at least when I first read it, it's uh it's a weird western. At least it has that vibe. Um and instead of having like me science fiction or kind of like steampunk added to it, you add fantasy to it because there's dragons in it. And what would happen if dragons roam the wild west? What effects would that have on the communities? What effects would that have on the crops? What effects would it have on religion and stuff like that? The primary, it's, it's only two characters in it. We have Cleod, Cleod and is it Lyell or Liel? Uh, it's actually Cloud and Liel. Cloud and Liel. Got it. That's my, it's my, it's my micro salute to Highlander. Oh, yeah. Never, uh, never, never really watched Highlander, but uh. um, I got old. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing like that. I know plenty of people my age who who watch Highlander. I just never, never got into it. Mm -hmm. So those are two primary characters, and we see their relationship grow from when they're very, very small to when they're to when they get adults, and they go on very different paths. So why don't we just talk about the characters first of all, since you're a very big character uh, reader, and talk about these characters and what they mean to to you and what how you came up with them. Well. Um... I wanted to do um, when I when I when I pitch the book when people ask about it I tell them it's a feminist western with dragons, <laughs> so you know that kind of tells you where I'm going with her character right from the start. Liel is kind of a lot of the women and girls I have known kind of rolled into one. She doesn't want what she's supposed to want as a girl in this world. She wants education and knowledge, and she wants to use that as a tool. Uh, for change within herself. Uh, she doesn't understand why she can't have it. She has a lot of tragedy in her life and, and, and some level of abuse, but she finds friends and strength in those friendships with other women, specifically with, with Cloud uh, in her youth, because he was truly her only friend. But as she gets older, she finds that with other women. And so for me, it was very important to, to take uh, a girl who, um, had a lot against her and 
was kind of like, okay, this is the way the world is, but how can I get around it? You know, like, okay, I know there's going to be consequences for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I wanted her to have that strength and, and that fear combined, but to not let that fear stop her from doing what she felt she needed to do for herself and those around her. So, um, and then if we get into the second book, there's more to that, but, um, and then, and then cloud, I, I really wanted him to be a character that was going to take the dragon slayer trope and flip it on its head. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to be everything that the typical hero of a story was, but broken by the fact that he had to be that in the world that he lived in. So that that's where the conflict with his character comes in. He's He wants to be the hero of stories of old. He wants to be the one who saves uh, the girl, who saves his friend. He wants to be that person and yet there are consequences for making that choice that are not usually shown in these types of stories. So just because you grow up to be the hero doesn't mean that makes you happy or it's what you should actually have done. And so um, that's that's kind of where where he came from, you know. I, you know, they're, so they're both put into these stereotypical positions. But there are consequences for both of them and realizations of what it means to be in those stereotypical positions that kind of bend the arc of the story, if that makes sense, <laughs> without yeah. giving away too much. No, you're not giving away too much. This is, we're going to do spoiler free for the, I mean, hopefully for much the as most, we can. most part, much as we can. Um, no, that describes them perfectly. And just one thing I wanted to touch on for um, Lyle, that she she wants to do these things, but she can't for outside pressure. It's that women can't are not allowed to have education unless I believe they're a healer and correct me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong. Um, But she does it anyway. And then there's consequences to that. And we don't have to get into those consequences, but uh, it's pretty big um, turning point in the story, which sets the rest of the, of the book, at least book one. And then for cloud, he had a very, very good, strong heart hero. He's determined. He knows what he wants to do, but then he figures out later, like, wait, why am I doing this? This is not, this is not what I was told from the beginning. And he, that shapes him as a character as well. And one big aspect of the, of the first book, and I guess the rest of the series as well, it's secrets and histories that these characters learned, but it's not the true history of the Mm -hmm. land or of the groups that they're in or of the towns. There's secrets hidden from them. And once they learn those secrets, it flips everything on its head and you look at everything in a new light. I love books like that. Like Jenny Wirtz does that all the time. Uh, Miles and Book of the Fallen does that as well. This is mm-hmm. this is one of those series and I absolutely loved it. So what what was your inspiration for, you, you have a lot of world building and history in this um, book as well. What was your inspiration for wanting to like, kind of like go from it from that angle, like history and how uh, history is doomed to be repeated if you don't, if you don't take precautions? but keeping the truths from, from the, from the people as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with feeling like I had encountered that in my own education because, you know, and, and I, maybe things are different in school now, but there were very set things that I learned in school about history and how the world worked that as I got older and got out into the world, I was like, wait, <laughs> you know, like the simple one. Columbus discovers America and we fight the British and yay, America. And all that's glossed over is, oh, let's see, genocide <laughs> you know? um, in, 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 in the history of our country and, and, and how 
that shapes people outside of my existence. Like I grew up in a very sheltered rural town in Maine. It was a blue collar paper mill town. My father worked at the mill. My mother was a nurse, very blue collar family and very Caucasian region. Not a lot of culture beyond that, that very sheltered, very sheltered. And I got out into the world and I was like, meeting people from other cultures and, 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 and other backgrounds and hearing their stories and their stories were nowhere close to my story. It, it, it was like a different world. And I was like, okay, so they are growing up in the same country that I am learning the same things in school. And yet their stories are completely different from mine, their personal stories, their histories, how they view the world. And so why is that? And so it, it started to be like, okay, what, at what level are the things that we're taught good for us? And at what level are they indoctrination? And, and what aren't we being told about our own past and our own histories as, as a country, as people, as how those stories shape us going forward? And, and then you get outside the country and you, you travel and you, you're in other cultures completely. And you're like, this is completely different. <laughs> and, and so there's what are the deeper truths? What are the real truths? And how does power and culture shape what we're taught versus how the world really works behind the scenes or could work if we believe different stories? So, um, and stories have always been hugely powerful in my own life um, as far as, like, I don't do well with facts and math and, and textbooks that are straight up numbers and knowledge and dates. I learn in a story setting. I learn by tales told to me and how I feel as I'm hearing them. That's, that's the way I absorb information. So for me, it was a natural thing to kind of take on the power of story within these books because that's, that's how I move through the world. And so it, it just kind of flowed naturally from that. So yeah, it's one of the major themes throughout the books is the power of storytelling and and history and truth and knowledge and what you can trust and where you have to go with your own heart. So. Yeah. Thanks for, sh thanks for sharing that. It's, um, when I was in school, it, it was pretty much the same thing, but what I kept hearing this thing in the back of my mind is that history is always written by the victors mm -hmm. and truth is always in the eye of the beholder. So, mm -hmm. and it's, it's barely, my wife is a very big art um, person and how two people can look at the exact same piece of art and get completely different emotions. It's just, it's very subjective. And it, when it comes to, and when it comes to history and it comes to teaching people, everyone experiences it differently. And we have to learn to come together to come find common ground in that. That's what being human is and having yeah. interactions as well. And, and the thing about history too, is not only is it written by the victors, it's written by the literate. Correct. You know, those who have the opportunity to pass it on because we've lost so much oral tradition in the West, you know, like in other parts of the world, that's not necessarily true. But once stuff is codified in text in, in the Western world, it's much harder to get around. So um, that's also something to to make note of, like, like there are books within my books, there are, there are books that are picked up that the story is different depending on who translated it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, always curious to me how that works. Love little hints and secrets like that. They just get to uh, discover. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite little things and tropes about, about writing. One more aspect I wanted to talk about, and this is probably the, the most fun part of the book is the time jumps uh, within your chapters. 
So for those of you who don't know, who haven't read the book, I'm just going to walk you through it. First chapter of the first book, Dragon Weather, it's Cloud's perspective. I think he's 38 years old in it. Mm -hmm. And he tells him he's he's, uh, hired as a guard for a caravan moving through like a, like a desert type thing. And he's watching out for signs for you know, dra- dragons. And then the next chapter you switch to Liel's point of view. And that is, takes place when she's eight years old. So you're doing time jumps like that um, back and forth, back and forth with several different chapters. And it doesn't become clear right away until I'd say about six or seven chapters in, we start to see the connection. I just found that very f- fascinating. I've never seen an author or a book do that to that degree in telling a story. What was the reasoning for going about this type of narrative approach? And how long did it take you to like really narrow it down and kind of like perfect this? Because I think it's brilliant. Oh, (laughs) well, thanks. It was, I had this weird idea when I started that this book was a standalone. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Uh, What did I know? Um, Because I'm not a plotter. As the plotter and pantser, they use those terms. I didn't plan any of this. I just was like, yeah, but it's all a story. And my original thought was I was going to tell her story going forward and his story going backwards. Like memento. Yeah. And have the meat in the middle. And as I actually started to put the book together, because I don't write in order, I write, I get an idea for a scene. Okay. This happened. Therefore this has to happen. I'm going to go write this scene and that happened. Therefore this has to go up. And so I got to go over here. And that's just how my brain works. And so, but as I started to create the scenes, I realized that her story is linear. Her story just yes. is, is a linear arc and his jumps back and forth through time. So it wasn't a truly backwards story. It was, it was, it was back and forth. So I had to bend the original idea and then I had to figure out where to put everything. <laughs> and I literally did that by printing out all the chapters and like laying them in piles and like, okay, does this work? And, and I had intention of doing that exact same thing through the second book. But when I got a publisher, they, well, I was, I had to rewrite the ending and um, didn't like my cliffhanger ending. <laughs> and, and I was supposed to, and, and, and that, because, because it originally was one book, one and two were kind of one arc yep. and then I had to split it. And then that put me at a cliffhanger and that forced some changes in book two. So book two is a little more linear, but um, it was kind of an accident because I was just trying to figure out how to write a novel because I had never written one before. I'd only written short stories or vignettes. And I didn't really know that that was something you weren't supposed to do. So I just did it. (laughs) And, and then I had to figure out how to make it work. It was like, okay, how am I not going to confuse my readers? And because that, you know, you don't want to confuse your readers. How do I make this work? And so then it was, about a year of figuring out how the pieces went together. That was that took place after I figured out I had all these time jumps and how to do it. So it was completely accidental because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, and so luckily it works and I seem to have pulled it off. People seem to enjoy it. So I, I can't really say that there was a logic to it because there just wasn't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> never tell someone you can't, they can't do anything because then th- someone's going to fi- figure out and do it. And it's mm-hmm. just because it's so it's so different. Like it's something you yeah. would never find or you never expect to find in any type of literary work, let alone a, a fantasy book. So it just comes at you like right from the beginning. I'm like, wait a second. Hold on. 
30 years, 30 years in the past. Let me see. Oh, wait, now it's, oh, here's the connection. And uh, it, it, it just, it's a, another mystery. And I love mysteries to, to solve. And it's something that's just fabulous. And you're right. Book two, it is, it gets more, gets more linear with cloud and Lyell and how they, how they match up um, and how they move forward. You're right. That is a cliffhanger <laughs> ending. <laughs> We've had our discussions about that. No, nothing to get into. Just expect it because it is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are aspects about writing this um, book or this series uh, that maybe you didn't thought would be in there when you first started that you ended up putting in now? Or what surprised you most about throughout this writing process, you would say? So far in the series, the thing that has surprised me most was one of my sub characters became a main character, Kilris, who is Cloud's yep. boss. He's the caravan leader. He went from, I needed someone for to kind of save Cloud's button, have him bounce stuff off of, to, wait a minute. By the end of this, by the end of book one, I was like, okay, he knows things. How does he know thing? And 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 then I figured that out, and I was like. Oh, okay. So you're in for another time jump. I'm just going to warn you in advance mm-hmm. because book three is from, so he went from a sub character to a character that has his own book. So book three is from Kilris's point of view oh, lovely. and it's actually book 0.5. It actually starts before book one. <laughs> so I'm just going to warn you in advance. I'm playing with time again. Um, so yeah, it, book one, book two, book 0.5 book four but you have to read them in order or book point five doesn't make sense i i'm just it's just a thing so that happening surprised me i had never had that happen before in anything i'd written i never had a secondary character become a main character to the to the point where i'm like wow this is this is intense so that that was startling the fact that i i discovered a software through my dear friend ellen i discovered a software called scrivener I'd always written in Word or WordPerfect or my notebooks, and I discovered a software that allowed me to write out of order because in Scrivener, you create subfiles and you can literally just move them around with the click of a mouse. So I didn't have to write in order. I can, I can write, like I have files in right now. I have a file in Liel's point of view. Oh, hello, murder face. And I have, <laughs> it's my cat. Um, files in Cloud's point of view and Cloud files in Killer's point of view. And I write up every scene from their point of view, and then I put them all in order. And so this software, uh, the revelation that I didn't have to write the story in order, like you're taught to write the story in order, uh, was huge for me and, and very freeing. I probably am not as fast a writer as I would be if I plotted everything out and knew it was going to happen, but that's not the way my brain works. And so discovering I could create a story of this length without having to follow a pattern of this happens, this happens, this happens was revelatory for me. And I think that's part of what makes the story so interesting because I can just tell it however I want. And that was, that was a huge deal. So if you're writing out there and you've been taught, I must do A and then B must happen and C must be a consequence of that. No, if something inspires you, write it and figure it out later. <laughs> so learning to do that was awesome. <laughs> That's great. It's great tools to have for, um, for fellow authors and anyone who's looking to become an author and listening on this podcast. And please share your thoughts. We uh, are always looking for new, new, new voices in the drama. Let's get into just one more, one more question. And I always ask this for all of my um, uh, interviews. 
Do you have a uh, any recommendations for any underrated uh, series? It's particularly, I made it a point of reference this past year to get into more into uh, female authors because I mm-hmm. I think they're underrepresented. Some some for unknown reasons and it seems, but I'm trying to get more voices out there. So do you have any recommendations uh, for authors you'd recommend? Oh yeah. Ellie Rain, if you like sort of monster steampunk type stuff, she's an author from Georgia, uh, USA, very underrated. She's got quite a few books out. Her covers are gorgeous. Um, she's smart. She's funny. Her, there's a lot of humor in her books. Love her stuff. Nicole Givens Kurtz has a, a novella series that she's writing She's an African-American author from Charlotte, North Carolina, and or actually, I guess she's in South Carolina, Rock Hill, South Carolina, and she is doing beautiful stuff with novellas with African-American lead characters who are also bird people. <laughs> they're like they're like mysteries, but her her characters are part human and part bird. It's the coolest thing. They're they're really, really fun. Um, so I've never seen anything like that you know, yeah, I just, I just love her stuff. Um, she's also got some, a fabulous short story collection called Sisters of the Wild Sage, which is African-American women in short stories in the old West. It's just wonderful. Uh, love her stuff. Lucy Hounson from the UK. Uh, she's writing under Lucy Holland now. And the, the book she wrote under Lucy Holland's sister song has done really well, but she's got a series under her actual name, Lucy Hounson from before that called the world maker trilogy, which is kind of modern classic fantasy, but with a feminist lead, very fun stuff there. Anything by Cherie Renee Thomas. Uh, she's unbelievable. She is now the editor of magazine of fantasy and science fiction, but some of her lesser known stuff is just stunning. Love her. Um, Eric Nunley writes some black superhero stuff. He's got a book called lightning wears a red cape. It's just wonderful. Stephen poor from the UK. He's a UK author, P-O-O-R-E, uh, has a duology that's really, really fun. The first book is um, The Heir to the North, and the second book is The High King's Vengeance, and there's just two in the series. Highly recommend those. Um, he writes a female lead whose goal is, end goal is not romance and marriage. It's really quite wonderful. <laughs> so um, I, I really like his stuff and he's very underrated. So those would be top of the list. And you're already doing Janie Wirtz's books. And I think Janie should be mentioned in the same breath uh, with George R.R. R. Martin and, you know, um, Patrick Rothfuss and actually probably ahead of both of them because she's actually going to finish her damn series. Um, yeah, she should be mentioned with the greats in every breath that's taken. And I'm very glad that you're doing her series. Um, trying to think who else. I think those were the ones I had written down off the top of my head. Um, Darren Kennedy from Charlotte, North Carolina has a series of books where it's, it's kind of like Queen's Gambit meets Squid Game. <laughs> he's got before written before Squid Game came out. He's got uh, the Pond's Gambit trilogy that's Basically, it's a whole bunch of people in the modern era who are sucked into a, a live action chess game that's played all through time and across the world to save the world. It's very cool. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fun stuff there. So um, those are some of my top favorites. And there's a new author who I'm beta reading for named Richard Fife, who is um, doing some really interesting 
stuff. And his first book comes out in April, actually. Uh, it's called uh, Conflict Born. That's going to be that's going to be fun. And Richard is doing some different stuff that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. And even though he's a male author, he comes at it. He comes at his female characters with a strength that I have not seen a lot of men do. So very impressed with his stuff and him in general. So yeah, those are, those are some folks. Uh, Kyoko M does wonderful um, dragon, like modern contemporary in the real world dragon stuff. That's, that's also part mystery. And she is underrated as well. She's an indie published author from Georgia. And I think you would get a kick out of her stuff because she has like dragon studying scientists in the modern world. It's very cool. <laughs> I have a thing for dragons. Can you tell? Yeah, I can. I can pretty mm-hmm. much tell. And so, so do I reading, reading, uh, reading Jenny, Jenny's books, reading yours. I love dragons. Dragon Mage by M.L. Spencer is a fantastic oh, book. Yes. I, if you read that, that's was mm-hmm. my favorite book last year. Remarkable. Waiting for the waiting for the sequel, uh, which Yay. I think is going to come out in April. So fingers crossed for for that one. So yeah, this was, this was great. Thanks for so much for the recommendations. I wrote some of them down. Hopefully I'll get to check some of them, some of them out. Um, there's always new, new writers coming up. So we always try mm-hmm. to try to give them like a little bit of a boost, try to get it all out into the world and see you know, who's going to like this. If you like this author, you might like this, this, mm-hmm. this author is trying this with his tropes and his characters. It's related to X author and it does that. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to share with you. And thank you so much for jo- joining me on my podcast and trying to get more, get more voices and get more eyes on these authors. It really, really helps a lot. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> so before we, before we wrap it up, why don't we, uh, why don't you tell the uh, audience members uh, where to find you on Twitter, on your website, where to f- find your books and, uh, and yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I am, I write under page L Christie because I, my name is Paige Christie and most people call me Christy Page. So I put the L in there so that they know, no, this is the actual name, Paige L Christie. So I'm Paige L Christie everywhere. PageLChristie.com, Facebook.com slash Paige L Christie, Twitter, Paige L Christie, Instagram, Paige L Christie. You can find me at Paige L Christie and it's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E. Just, I have three first names. What are you going to do? Um, and the books are available you know, um, I'm trying to get my publisher to open up wide and get them on draft to digital and Kobo and things like that. But right now the digital books are only available on Amazon, um, but they can be ordered at any bookstore. If you want a paperback copy, um, you can order them from my website. If you're looking to find me, I am a guest. See the convention I know I'm going to be at so far this year is I'm going to be at Jordan con in Atlanta in uh, April. Um, I'm a guest there and I'm hoping to be at con Carolinas and at multiverse con as a guest as well. I'll be at multiverse con regardless of whether or not I'm a guest, but I'm hoping to, to get in as a guest there as well. So those are the three I have planned to be at this year, if it all works out. And my email is pagelchristie at gmail.com. How original. If anybody's got any questions or needs to get in touch with me. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for everybody for listening and we'll see you next time. Cheers. All right.